We turn together now in God's word to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll be reading a couple of verses there for us, and then also Romans 4. 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25, Romans 4, verse 11. As we welcome, again, family, friends, visitors today. Hear now God's word. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. He, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. So far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to us today by his Holy Spirit. Kids, what did you have for breakfast? Cocoa Puffs? I had eggs. I love eggs in the morning. Eggs are one of those foods you can eat all different meals, can't you? Lunch, breakfast, dinner, all over the place. Sausage. You need a good meal to be nourished, don't you? We also need spiritual food to grow to be more like Jesus. The means that God has appointed for our spiritual growth and nourishment are called the ordinary means of grace the word, the sacraments, and prayer. What it means by means is this. It's a tool or an instrument by which grace, God, pours out his demerited favor to us in Jesus. All of our spiritual life is in Christ. And these are the means by which, as we worship the Lord, as God carries out his great commission to the ends of the earth, disciples are made, God's people are matured, and God is glorified. It's all about the gospel, who Jesus is, and what we have in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and everlasting life by faith, by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, the church is not just a teaching institution. We saw that earlier with new members and with children who are now baptized. We're a family. God creates, through the gospel, a new kind of community. God has not designed us to live alone. We can't spiritually live alone. Public worship on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath, as we gather together, is where we enter into the presence of God in a special way by these ordained means of grace. If you're interested in more about this, Table Talk magazine always does a great job June 2020, the whole magazine is devoted to this topic. I'll be quoting from some of these authors this morning. Today we look first at the question of where does saving faith come from? If you think of a perishable seed, what comes to mind? For me, it might be a failed tomato plant or a pumpkin that has been smashed on the side of the road. Well, Peter uses that phrase, perishable seed, to refer to this, one sinful man and one sinful woman have a baby, and that baby is sinful. 
That baby is born physically alive, breathing by the grace of God, but spiritually dead on arrival. We need to be born again. How does the new birth happen? Who can change a sinner's heart? Only God. The Spirit of God who hovered over the waters at creation is the agent of our new creation. This change of heart is called regeneration. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, 2 Corinthians, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the single work of Almighty God. You are a new creature in Christ. The old man is gone, the new has come. You might not remember the moment of your regeneration. In fact, many of our children, we pray, never know a day when they don't believe. You don't have to remember the moment. If you trust in Jesus today, it's because God has done this. You are reborn by imperishable seed, the word of God itself, which is living and active. The word of God is not just words on a piece of paper. Sometimes someone might think that. Well, these are just human words. Paul said, this is the word of God, not the word of man. And the Lord, through his word and by his spirit, sows imperishable seeds, brings about repentance and faith, feeds us with Jesus, the bread of life. As you read in the book of Acts, the word of God increases. The word of God prevails. The word of God is at work. And when the word of God by the Spirit grips your heart and mine, you're humbled. We're repentant. We worship the Lord. The ministry of the word and prayer is what the early church was devoted to. That's what we are about at Emmaus Road. May we encounter Christ in the word. May we commune with Christ in the word. And we need the work of God's Spirit to make that word effective in our hearts. R.C. Sproul said this. One of the phrases that captures the Reformation is regeneration precedes faith. Big word, what does that mean? Your faith is not a result of your act of your will independently. It is the fruit of God's sovereign act of changing the disposition of our hearts and giving to us the gift of faith. The Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts, kind of like a fire that's kindled, kids. How does the Spirit do that? By the preaching of the Holy Gospel. What is the Gospel? It is the good news of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Christ is the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that of free grace, God grants us the forgiveness of sins, everlasting life and righteousness because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus applied to us by the Spirit. Everlasting life, the contrast with what Peter says couldn't be greater. Do you see what Peter says? Grass that grows up for a time, it flowers, and it's dead. He's contrasting that with the word of God. What is he saying? Well, maybe you accidentally have a flower pop up. That happened in our yard yesterday. We did not put it there. 
Another one popped up somewhere else. The harder we try at planting things, the worse it goes. But sometimes they just pop up. (laughs) That flower popped up. It's not going to be there long, but it's flourishing right now. The most beautiful of humans, the most successful, wealthy, famous, gifted, profound, articulate, wise, they seem so important at the time. But all the glories of man are no more abiding than grass. Do you know who won the all-around gymnastics final this week? I'm sure many of you do. She's from St. Paul. But do you know who won in 2013? How about 1988? Who won the NBA finals in 1989? You're saying you're crazy. Of course I am. The point is, yesterday's hero is forgotten tomorrow. As everyone starts to think about who's next, who's going to win next year? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but not so God's word. It does not pass away. The presence and power of God is in the word. Not only the word preached, but secondly, the word visibly. What are the sacraments? So it's the good news of Jesus that the Spirit uses to create faith in our hearts, doesn't he? But God confirms that faith. How? By the use of the sacraments. How many sacraments are there? There are two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And when it comes to the sacraments, there are two ditches to avoid. One, the danger of thinking that they are magical. Thinking that somehow there's a power in the wine, the bread, and the water or thinking that we have to add to God's word and add sacraments. The medieval church at one point said there were 30 sacraments. Then they said, well, 12. Then in the 13th century, they said seven. And thanks be to God for the Reformation as the church returned to the Bible, which says, no, there's, there's two. On the other extreme, sometimes people think of the sacraments as a mere mirage, This is actually probably more the tendency of American evangelicalism. Thinking of them just as a ceremony with very little meaning. We do them, God commands it, but they don't seem to have much reality for us or bring blessing into our lives. Not magic, not mirage, as Calvin said. But in the sacraments, God presents the word tangibly. It's the same word we hear preached but in a different form. There's the preached word. There's the written word, the Bible. There is the eternal word, the Son of God. The incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And the visible word, baptism in the Lord's Supper. God speaks to us to encourage us in our weakness. And precisely the same thing is communicated in the sacraments as in the gospel itself. God accommodates himself to us in his grace and mercy. Here's how one person puts it. A man declares his love to his wife by giving her a kiss. He signifies and seals that love with that kiss, not only the words, but the kiss itself. So God declares his love and signifies it to us in the visible words of the sacraments. Christ is offered in the sacraments as a treasure to us. 
and they're for the building up and strengthening of God's people. The sacraments are not rewards for the strong. It's not, if I've done enough this week, then I come and then I'm worthy to partake of the supper. In the supper, God's not saying, I'm displeased with you, what's wrong with you, clean up your act and then come. God says, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Here is visibly a picture of my love and what my son has done for you. Take and eat, remember and believe. The sacraments then are not us climbing up to God to attain something, but God in mercy coming down to us. Baptism, that's the sacrament of initiation into the covenant. You only need to be baptized once. You don't have to get rebaptized. Baptism is instituted, Christian baptism, in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and baptize and teach and disciple. Now, why do children receive the sign of baptism? We talked about that a little bit already. The question is, who is a member of Christ's church? In the Old Testament, it's clear, isn't it? Believers and their children are members of the church, members of the covenant community. God said that to Abraham. Genesis 17, the sign of the covenant is circumcision. The promise of the covenant is, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. What about the New Testament? Well, that's why there's debate where beloved Baptist brothers and sisters and those who baptize children on the other side love each other but respectfully disagree. Interestingly, there's no instance of a believer's child being baptized as an adult believer in the New Testament. Just a side note. Now you'd say, well, where is the baptism of children there? (laughs) That's where the discussion is. The normal pattern in the New Covenant is God's grace reaching out to more people than in the Old. So are children in the New Covenant in a worse place than they were in the Old? Nobody would want to say yes to that. Were children a part of the covenant then? Yes. Have they ever been taken out? No. Does Jesus say, welcome, little children, come to me? Yes. There are household baptisms in Acts. And there's no one single verse on either side. But there's this really important promise in Acts 2, 39. The promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off. What's Peter saying there? He's echoing Genesis 22, the words of God to Abraham. The promise is for you. It's the covenant of grace. It's the same promise in the Old Testament. It's for your children. They have not been removed from the covenant community. And it's for the nations. It's not for an ingrown church that just focuses on themselves. It's for every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation around the world. Praise God. That's the gospel promise. Baptism is for those who are in the covenant of grace. An adult who professes faith should be baptized, yes. And infants of believing children are in the covenant. That's the reason they're baptized. Not that we presume that they're elect, but because God says they're in the covenant and they are given the sign and seal of the covenant, which is baptism. The goal of baptism is realized at the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me, Matthew 26. We regularly partake of the Lord's Supper. And both baptism and the Lord's Supper come through redemptive history as signs of the covenant. They're not the first signs. As you look at the Bible, Moses' signs, remember kids? They pointed to the power of God when he went to Egypt and he said, let my people go. He did signs. God did those signs through him. Jesus' signs, when he did miracles and healings, pointed to who he is as the eternal son of God. And whenever God enters a covenant relationship in a saving way with his people, he adds to the word a sign. He didn't have to do that. He did that out of grace and mercy, accommodating himself to us, out of his love for us. Garden of Eden, there's two signs there. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were sacraments of a kind. They pointed beyond themselves. They illustrated promises. How about Noah? God gives Noah the sign after the flood, the rainbow, right? Pointing again to God's promise. God makes a covenant with Abraham. He gives him a sign. What is it? Circumcision to signify we need a new heart. We need a new life. It cannot happen by us turning over a new leaf, trying harder, but by God, as we already saw, doing a work of regeneration. Circumcision points forward to the coming Messiah who will crush the seed of the serpent as he is circumcised in his bloody circumcision for us on the cross. All of that is pictured in Genesis 17. The sacrificial system itself. An animal dies in the place of a sinful human. The meal, the lamb, and the unleavened bread, those are signs. They reminded Israel of what? The Exodus. Remember, kids? They had to leave quickly out of Egypt. The bread was unleavened. The blood of the lamb is on the doorpost turning away the judgment of God poured out on Egypt. Those are signs associated with Passover. And they're pointing to the coming Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Red Sea was a sort of sacrament. You might say, whoa! That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He talks about the sea and the manna. He says, Our fathers were under the cloud. They passed through the sea. Remember that, kids? From Egypt, heading to the promised land. And then he says the Red Sea episode was a baptism. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. For the rock that followed them was Christ. What's Paul doing? It's an interesting verse. One person says, this very well might be a case of infant baptism in the New Testament. I'm not saying that to be snarky. I'm saying that to think about what Paul's saying. Who passed through the Red Sea? Israel. That means grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads and children and teenagers. They all passed through. Who was baptized then? All of them. Which ones of them got wet? None of them. None of Israel got wet in the Red Sea. 
Pharaoh's armies got wet. But they were baptized where? Into Moses. Meaning Moses was kind of the, the covenant head at that point, so to speak. He represented them. He's the mediator of the Sinaitic covenant. He's a type of Christ. Now, Paul is saying, this applies to the new covenant church. Our situation is very similar to theirs. Who was with them in the Old Testament? Christ. Who was the rock that followed them? Christ. Did they eat spiritual food? Manna? Yes. Did they drink spiritual water out of that rock? Yes, who is that rock? It's Christ. So the manna and the water out of the rock in some way says that Israel possessed the equivalence of baptism in the Lord's Supper then. Paul is making a profound point about the sacrament for us. He's also saying the church is the continuation of Israel as the covenant people of God. As the covenant people of God, we receive the sign of the covenant, just like they did. He's showing the similarity between us and the Old Testament people of God. What about seals? There are signs of the covenant through redemptive history. There are also seals. Here's what I mean by that. One person says, seal is like an authenticity, assuring us of the promise that can be trusted. So you get a letter It's sealed. State of Virginia, toll violation. We might or might not have gotten one of those. There was nowhere to put the money. We knew we were going to have to pay it, but we got two this week. (laughs) It's only about $12. The seal does not create the reality. It testifies to the truth of what has been done. This has come from Virginia to us. Pay your toll. Weddings. The wedding ring is a sign and seal of that covenant. It confirms and declares the bride and groom's love for each other. It marks me off as belonging to my wife, confirming my promise to be faithful to her as long as we both shall live. So two years ago when we were swimming in a northern Minnesota lake and the water was cold and I got out of the lake, and I realized something was missing, I was a little nervous. The ring came off in a lake without the bottom of a pool to kind of search for, right? So I said to the kids, I still, I I think I owe them something still. I said, come and please find this. I'll get you McDonald's. I'll get you a truck. I'll get you something. Come and find it. I didn't think they would, but they did. One of our sons swam in the bottom of the lake and found it. The seal... The ring is a sign that acts as a seal between husband and wife. What about the Bible? The Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, seals us. The Spirit is the earnest, the guarantee of our coming inheritance. We're sealed for the day of redemption. Our life is hidden in Christ. This is confirmed in the Word and the sacraments. We believe that for which our baptism stands. Baptism is not a bare sign. It's a seal, a guarantee that God has given to his people. He is our God. We are his children. Now, when do the children receive saving grace? The Westminster Confession wisely says, the efficacy of baptism is not tied to the moment when it's administered. 
the grace promised is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred, how? By the Holy Spirit, to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongs to, according to the counsel of God's own will, in his appointed time, loved ones. For John the Baptist, it was in the womb. He's in the womb. He's in the presence of his Savior, the Lord Jesus, who's also in the womb. Mary and Elizabeth are there. The baby leaps for joy. Joy is a fruit of faith. The Lord worked powerfully, and he does so as well in the hearts of our children, we pray. How do these things work? How are they effectual? They don't work by themselves. They don't work out of themselves. They don't work automatically. It's not that grace comes through the water, the bread, and the wine. They work by the Spirit through faith. Faith does not make the sacrament. Faith does not create God's promise. God's promise comes before faith, and through faith, faith receives the sacrament unto blessing. Dr. Godfrey, that's a really important point in this. Think of Israel. They shared a common baptism into Moses. They passed through the sea. They ate the manna. And yet Paul says, not all of them believed. Those who didn't believe came under God's judgment. A sober warning. No one is given faith by circumcision, by the Red Sea baptism, by eating the Passover, by eating manna, by the water of baptism, by the cup and the wine. That's not how we're given faith. God uses those things to confirm our faith. But it's the Spirit working. Roman Catholicism says you get grace in baptism. As you work with it, along with the other sacraments, you eventually experience a love for God without imperfection. A faith suffused with that love, Sinclair Ferguson quotes them, says, God now justifies you because you are justifiable. See the problem? Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Salvation is not a reward given to you at the end of your life. It is the gift given to you at the beginning of your Christian life as you come to faith in Jesus. It's the promise God made before you were born in the covenant of redemption. We're not saved by our works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Someone was talking to a pastor once, and the pastor talked to them and said, have you ever asked Jesus for forgiveness? person was furious. How dare you speak to me about the need for forgiveness? Sometimes, this pastor says, we think that what brings conviction of sin is banging people on the head. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. What brings deep conviction of sin is saying, Jesus will forgive you. And the proud say, how dare he think I need forgiveness from him? 
There's no other way. You and I need to be washed in the saving, sacrificial blood of Jesus to be clean and clothed in his righteousness to be acceptable before God. We don't come to the end of our life and say, I hope I've done enough. Lord, look at my list. The offer of the gospel today is for all without distinction. Not based on what you've accomplished. You don't qualify yourself for the gospel. And our covenant children are raised being told, You've been baptized, Ryan and Chloe. God has made his promise to you. Now rest in Jesus by faith. Every time God's word is preached, great issues of eternity are being decided. Hearts are either hardened away from the Lord or softened by God's grace. One man said, I preach as though never sure to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. Luther, I preach as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming again tomorrow. There's an urgency there. And the same with the sacraments. The sacrament is a savor of life to life or death to death. It comes with God's promise to all who receive it by his grace. And as we come to church, we are to come prayerfully. Bathing this service in prayer. Praying that we would hear Christ proclaimed. Praying that God would be glorified. Praying that we would commune with the Lord together. Praying that wrongs would be made right. That relationships that are broken will be healed. That pride would be killed and that it would all be to the praise of Jesus. Skipping church, loved ones, is like skipping a meal. Every meal might not be spectacular. You think, that frozen pizza from Tombstone, I rather would have avoided it. (laughs) But they all help keep you alive. We often don't learn how much we grow by the means of grace until we neglect or lose them. The Lord uses them to nourish our spiritual life in Jesus. We are like hot coals. A pastor went to visit someone once who had stopped attending church. There was a fire. He didn't say much. He went and he grabbed a piece of wood from the fire and set it outside of the other pieces of wood. Kids, what happened to that wood after a while? It burned out. And so do we. If we're not connected spiritually to the body of Christ, connected to Jesus who is the vine, we are the branches, we are his body. The pastor took that piece of wood and brought it back into the fire and it began to grow again. It began to be inflamed again. And so we pray, God, do that among us at Emmaus Road. Third, where do these sacraments direct our faith? You're heading to Chicago. The sign says 200 miles. You don't stop at the sign in Wisconsin and say, we have arrived, let's eat Chicago deep dish right here. The pizza's not there yet. You gotta go, you gotta get in the car, you gotta move. We may or may not have been doing that this summer, sorry. A lot of personal stories come out unplanned. The sign points you to something. Circumcision to Abraham. Points him somewhere. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, point where? To Christ. 
to Jesus and what he has done. We read Romans 4 today, verse 11. Because the problem is that some mistake the engagement ring for the fiancé, Sinclair Ferguson. Meaning, we're circumcised. Well, we're fine. We're baptized. We're fine. They don't look beyond the sign to what the sign points to. Circumcision or baptism never provide the basis of justification. Paul said to Abraham in Romans 4.11, it's a sign and seal of what? Of God's saving righteousness, not a sign of Abraham's faith. The sign and seal of the covenant was given to Abraham and to his eight-year-old son. Here's Ferguson again reminding us that the sacraments of God's covenants are never, ever, ever, ever in the first instance signs of my faith. They are always signs and seals of God's grace, pointing away from Abraham to Abraham's God. The same with the rainbow in Noah. It pointed Noah to his God, not to himself. But by the Spirit, it draws out faith from Abraham and from Noah and from you and I. Baptism is first and foremost a sign of what Jesus did for me in his bloody baptism when he died for my sins. As water washes away dirt, the blood of Jesus washes away my sin. The gospel doesn't say, look at yourself. It says, by faith, trust in Jesus. What about when my faith is weak? What about when we struggle with doubt, discouragement, temptation, sin? If all my baptism says is, I was baptized, and it is a sign that I believed... What then about the times when I struggle to believe? When my faith is weak, we often look inward. I got to try harder. I got to read my Bible more. I got to stop saying those, be- those mean words. I got to clean up my act. The Bible says that's moralism. That's not the gospel. When my faith is weak, I don't clean myself up. I go to Jesus for assurance and hope and grace and cleansing. That's what the sacraments are reminding us of. In your distress and doubt, they are shields to repel doubt, Calvin said. Does God love a sinner like me? How could God love a sinner like me? Is the Bible true? YouTube and everywhere else says it's not. The world says it's not. Is God real? Oh God, I'm doubting. Baptism is a visible word in which God says, I am your God, you are mine. That water baptism is my pledge that you can live by faith. As we come to the Lord's table, we stop looking at ourselves. We start looking at Jesus, who he is and what he's done. He bore my covenant curse. As we come to the table, we hear God tell you right now, God loves you. And in the Lord's table, you see, you smell, you touch, and you taste that God loves you.
today and always. Jesus says, you're mine. I am your atoning sacrifice. I am your substitute. I bore your sins. Your spirit, my spirit lives in you. I'm making you new. This is not a memory or a mirage or a ceremony. It's not magic. It's God feeding his pilgrim people with his word and his sacraments. And it points us forward. As we come to the Lord's table, we're not coming to a funeral today. We're coming to a feast with joy and gladness. What have we been made for? To commune with God, to enjoy God forever. Adam sinned. The tree of life stood there as that hope of eternal glory, to feast with God. And God in grace did not cast Adam away, but he comes to Israel in a covenant meal in Exodus 24. He comes and says, I am your God, you are my people. In Luke 14, it says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Blessedness is enjoying this meal with the Lord face to face. Blessedness is feasting at the tree of life on Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessedness is coming now to God in faith, knowing this is a meal, as one man says, that has packed into it all the good things God has been preparing for you since he made you. All the good things he will do for you and all the riches of grace that he pours out abundantly upon you in Jesus today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we long for the return of Jesus, the new heavens and new earth, that will finally secure our face-to-face fellowship with you that we have been longing for since the Garden of Eden. Oh, Lord, when Jesus comes, he will set this table again before us, and today is a foretaste of that. By your Spirit, O oh God, nourish us with your sacrament. Build us up in Jesus as we commune with you by faith and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.